sickness this morning. You know, it's such a privilege to be here to be able to share the Word of God with you. Every time, it's so, I come with fear and trembling. It's not easy, but it's such an awesome privilege that God allows me to be able to share His Word with you this morning. And a couple of weeks ago, I just want to bring you back, just a few weeks ago, how many of you were around during Mother's Day? Give me a wave. I had the immense privilege of hearing Pastor Sarah preach for the very first time in main service. How many of you were blessed? Yeah. And really, the things that she shared are still resonating in my heart. I'm still reflecting on them. You know, in a world that is so, so focused and fixated on immediate consequence, immediate gratification, immediate results, it was such a powerful reminder, right, that our steps and actions of obedience can have long-term, deep, sustaining impact that can last from generation to generation, that our steps of faith matter to God in the context of how He aligns it to His story of redemption across eternity. Abraham, when he took his step of faith, he reshaped destiny forever because that was how God ordained him to be that vessel of blessing. And she said this line, if you remember, she said, she said um, faith-filled decisions, right? Faith-filled decisions can bring generational healing and blessing. And faithless decisions can bring generational hurt and conflict. And what I came away with a deep conviction just saying, I want to have a type of faith that can bring healing. I want that kind of faith. I want a type of faith that can bring healing to those around me. I want the type of faith that can bring healing into the generations after me. When I look at my children, when I envision, you know, okay, long time more, if I'm going to be a grandparent, I want my children and my children's children's children to have healing in their lives and to love God. Isn't that the desire of our hearts? And so, these things were just resonating in my heart as I prepared, and, and, and I, I, I just asked, so what kind of, what does that faith look like? I want to know more about that faith, and that's what I'm going to focus on a little bit today. We're going to start with the story of Abraham once again, you know, and to see his life and his journey. I'm just going to just take a small part of it, but the more I studied into his life, the more I saw how, how flawed he was as a man. You know that the Bible doesn't hide his flaws and his mistakes. As you read through, sometimes you're like, ooh, wow, he did this, he did that, but this is a hero of faith. God, are you sure you wanted to leave this in the Holy Scripture? Isn't this a little bit shameful? And then you realize that the Bible is so authentic. It doesn't hide that even heroes of faith have flaws and, and, and failures and mistakes and that God's transformation happens over an entire lifetime. You know, Abraham came from a family who served other gods. He was an idolater before Yahweh called him to, 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 to start um, following only one God. Before that, he was an idolater. So God chooses this undeserving idolater to be the founder of the Jewish nation, the chosen people of God to bring his blessing and hope into the world because from there, that's where um, Jesus came from as well, from that lineage. 
And so God redeems our stories if we would surrender to Him. God redeems our journey if we would look to Him. God redeems our failures if we would trust Him and humble ourselves before Him and turn to Him. Amen? And all of us fall under that grace. Nobody is left out. If we would just turn to God, His redemption story begins to intersect with our lives. And our story begins to align with Jesus. Amen? Amen. And so today, that's what we're going to to look at. And the one thing that really stood out to me about Abraham, if you read his story, his life, his faith journey is marked by altars, which is why the um, title of the sermon today is Altered Faith. You know, it's, it's a bit of a pun because, you know, he also went through a transformation of faith, but at the same time, he brought his faith under the covering of the altars before God. And even uh, throughout the, his story, you see that over and over, he builds an altar before God. That's how important it is. In chapter 12 of Genesis, there are two instances where he builds altars. You know, first of all, when he arrives in Canaan, for promised land, but he finds a hostile land. He finds a callous people. And then God reminds him through a vision that his promise is still, you know, uh, applied over his life. And he gives God praise and he builds an altar of praise. And then he finds a place to settle down and pitch his tent, right? And, and he begins to build an altar of prayer just to call out and say, my dependence is on you, God. That's my declaration of dependence. And chapter 13 you know, when him and Lot's, uh, the herdsmen had conflict, and then he let Lot choose the side of the land he wanted, and then he settled in the other side, right? He built another altar, an altar of peace, just in gratitude of God's presence and peace. And the passage we're going to focus on today is the fourth altar, Genesis 22, which is the most famous one, the one where God tested him, you know, and, and asked him to sacrifice his son the son that God had promised and prophesied would be the vessel of fulfilling the promise to to bring blessing and goodness to the world. You know, and so that's what we're going to look at um, today. And we're going to read from the passage, okay? Can we just all stand this morning? It's a a rather long passage, so we're going to take some time to really go through it. And sometimes I like to remind that we stand because of a reason. Even here at home, if you could stand to read the word, it's because, you know, in the courtroom, when the judge enters, people stand as well. Because they're saying the judge has been given the right to judge and preside over what happens in the courtroom. And similarly, the word of God is given that right, that authority to speak into our hearts, to speak into our lives, to tell us what is right and wrong. And that's why we stand sometimes as we, 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 we read the word, just to honor that aspect. Okay, are you guys ready? Verses 1 to 18 in chapter 22. Let's go. Some time later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. 
On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they had reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged wood on it. He bound his son Isaac. He laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through their offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Can we just stay standing as we just lift this word in prayer? God, we thank you for your presence today. It is the most precious thing in the world. Thank you for visiting us. We invite you, we welcome you to speak to our hearts, to speak through your word. Oh Lord, to minister to every person that has walked in here today. Encounter us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Amen. That's not an easy passage for me to read. There's so much weight to it, so much meaning, so much beauty to it, even so much challenge to it. But as we read through the Bible, we, we recognize that altars are a very important thing in the Bible. There are four, more than 400 instances where, where, where altars are referenced in the Bible. And so it's relevant to us, what is an altar and how does it apply today? Because it's tempting to think maybe it's something that's an old-fashioned thing from the past, but it doesn't apply today. And so we, it's relevant to ask ourselves that question because the Bible talks about it over and over. So what is an altar? An altar is a structure where offerings such as sacrifices are made for religious purposes. It's a place of consecration to the Lord and was often used to commemorate an encounter between God and man. And as you read through the Bible, you will see so many characters 
that build altars before the Lord to commemorate their encounters. Men with spiritual, powerful spiritual encounters with the Lord, like Isaac and, and Jacob and um, uh, Gideon and David and Abraham. Over and over, these were men that decided to honor God and consecrate themselves before God when pivotal spiritual encounters and revelations happened in their lives. And so we can also commemorate our spiritual journey, our encounters with the Lord with altars. We want to talk about altars today. You know, just, just about over a month ago in April, uh, my wife and I, decided to take a trip to Malacca, right? It's, it's, it's nice that my wife is now anchoring Kids Church so I can talk all I want about her, all right? But you guys, please don't tell her what I share today, okay? Uh, it's between us. Is that good? <laughs> and so I'm going to talk a lot about her today. <laughs> so fun. All right, and so we went to Malacca uh, almost mid-April uh, because we felt a prompting from God that we needed to spend time in His presence, to hear from Him clearly for the season ahead. We felt that there was gonna be a crossing over from one season to the next, that it was an important point where we needed to spend time with God and with each other. And so we, you know, ditched our kids with my in-laws, praise God for them. And we, we, just, we just drove, you know, quite spontaneously, took two days one night to go to Malacca and spend time praying and reflecting and talking to each other and processing what God was talking to us for this season. You know, and he didn't reveal what was gonna happen. Or we, we just knew that we needed to mark this, this uh, season with a prayer altar together as a husband and wife. And so that's what we did. We spent time with God. We downloaded from God what he wanted to speak to us because it's, it's only the Word of God that keeps us going. It's only the Word of God that lets us know whether we are in the right place, whether we are at the center of His will. You know, and praise God, He spoke to us. You know, and uh, on the second morning, we didn't go out, we didn't do any touristy things. We just stayed in the hotel room and we began to build that prayer altar before God. Just praying and seeking His Word and saying, God, speak to us. And we were just crying together as God spoke to us in that hotel room. We just spent a few hours in His presence. His presence fell so beautifully in that room that morning. And whatever God has revealed, His revelation is something that we will remember, hopefully forever, you know? We marked it with a, an altar. We, we came home, we wrote down the things that God had told us on the whiteboard at home in our room so that we will remember it. And we, you know, are still reflecting on God's goodness in, in His revelation over us. It needs His presence, it needs His encounter in order to speak to us in every season, amen? And so, uh, one other thing that makes it more memorable, this is not part of the altar, but I just share it as a side note, if that's okay. See, I, I have this wedding ring, right, on my finger. And I don't know, those who are close to me know that this has been a, a bit of an issue between me and my wife uh, for the last couple of years because about three years ago, you know, when I go to the gym, I will take it out and I will put it in my wallet coin compartment. <laughs> and uh, that day, it was still in my wallet and somebody stole my wallet. 
And like for me, it was just an item, you know, and I was like, it's okay, you know. Um, it's just a symbol, you know. And my wife was very distressed, very distressed. In fact, she's been distressed for the last three years. She shares to her close friends. And she's like, Roger, why, why can't you just buy a new one? It's important to me, you know. I want you to be wearing that ring. And I don't know why I never felt the urgency, right? I just told her, why do I need to wear it? I think that anyone looking at my life, anyone looking at me will know my dedication to you and to my kids. Nobody will question, you know, that I'm a single man just because they don't see the ring. Why is that so important to you? So I put it off because, you know, we just put it aside as we went along and it, it continued to bother her. So I'm going to ask you guys today <laughs> to be the judge. <laughs> is that okay? Since she's not here, okay? <laughs> Even online, you can type it in, all right? Just take a few moments. This is just for my own uh, interest, all right? Do you think that it's important for me to buy the replacement ring? Put up your hand. If, uh, if it's yes, put up your hand. Straight up, straight up. Well, Pastor Tim was the first just like this, you know? All right, and if you think, come on, it's, it's not that important. The marriage is more important, you know? I don't think it's the most important uh, thing for you to buy a replacement. If such urgency, put up your hand. There's a few of you. Okay. Anyway, I will let Pastor Sarah know that the congregation is on her side. <laughs> but on this trip, that as God spoke to our hearts, I just felt a prompting to walk into that, that jewelry store. <laughs> I'm crying and you're laughing. What's going on? Okay. Um, and it was a very, very clear prompting and, and I the, fir, the I saw it straight away and I knew it was the one and so we we, we bought it in in eight minutes and we walked out <laughs> and it was a trip of rededication rededication of ourselves to each other rededication to God as well and it was marked by the prayer altar that we decided to build on this trip all right, so we can commemorate our spiritual encounters with God with the altar that we build before God. But at the same time, I want to clarify that in the New Testament, it also shares that there are different types of prayer altars that can be daily and more regular as well. You know, in, in Romans, when it says, um, you know, uh, we, we have to, um, what do you call it, uh, commit ourselves as living sacrifices, you know, present ourselves as living sacrifices. And we have to choose to lay down our desires to live our lives in a manner that, that honors God, that, that says, God, I will be surrendered and obedient to you, right? And this is a daily choice. Some of us do daily devotions. Every day we decide to build a prayer altar to God and honor that time. Some of us do it in the morning. Some of us do it in the night. There are some of our homes that will honor the family altar, you know, during the pandemic, I know a lot of families were able to do it every night. 9 p.m., the children would say, hey, daddy, mommy, aren't we supposed to do prayer altar now? Because they knew it was part of the routine. And it was a precious season where we could do that with our children as well. 9 o'clock, they knew it was prayer altar time. You know, family altar time where we, where we talk about God and we pray together. And of course, as the pandemic has, has come out and become endemic and we become a little bit busier, sometimes the dynamics of our family can, can mean that we might do that, that family altar once a week. 
you know, or two, three times a week. I think whatever works for your family, you shouldn't feel, uh, you know, judged that you need to do it every single day. But I want to encourage you to do that. Th this. There needs to be a place of consecration in your home on a regular basis where you say, God, this space is for you. This time is for you. My children are going to see me on my knees praying to you during this, this place. My, my children are going to see me pray to you and dedicate myself unto you and surrender myself unto you. They need to see that. And so I want to encourage you to honor that altar in your home. It's important. And why is it important? If we read and study into altars, right, altars before God, especially in the, the Old Testament, you will find that every time the altars of Israel fell into neglect and disrepair, any time the people of God did not take great care to guard their altar before God, it was a powerful indication that they were going to fall. They were falling into compromise and, and idolatry and allowing you know idolatry to come into their faith. And it happened over and over and over again. And that's why it's so important for us to to guard our altars before God. Even in the new covenant, it's important to guard and cherish these altars. And idolatry is not only the worship of false images or objects or idols. You know, Timothy Keller in his book, Counterfeit Gods, defines an idol as this, anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. And so, Anything that takes the place of God in your life, anything that diminishes your appetite and your hunger for the presence of God and for the, 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 the touch of God in your life can become an idol. Anything that you attach your affections and your desires to where you say this person or this thing is going to fill this need in my life when only God can fill that need can become an idol. And so we need to be very careful to, to guard our altar before God because this is what God spoke to me for this um, sermon today. He said God, he said he wants to build a resilient people with a resilient faith in glad tidings for this season. He said he doesn't want us to come out of the pandemic just as survivors, being able to just testify uh, that we have survived it and we have hung on and now we're getting back into, you know, normal life again. He has built a different type of faith in each of us through the, the trials, through the fire, through the refining. We're supposed to come out as a different people, a more mature people, a more resilient people, a more faith-filled people. And we're supposed to enter into the next season with a different faith. Amen? And so it's so important to God altars. This was the word that came to me. The sentence was, it begins with the restoration of the altar. It begins with the restoration of the altar. On three layers, our hearts, our homes, and the church. Even the altar area of the church is so precious. That's why many times when uh, preachers give sermons, they give a call to action, an altar call, because that moment of response at the altar is sacred. And I know that we have done it less this season because of the pandemic. We don't want people crowding, you know. But 
it is important. Altars are important in the church, in the home, in our hearts. Amen. And so this is what we're going to focus on today. Even Elijah, when he rebuilt and restored the altar before God and the fire of God came, that was when Israel turned their hearts back to God in unity. That was the changing point, the pivot point of Israel. When Elijah built and rebuilt and, and, and restored that altar, when he confronted the prophets of Baal and the fire of God came, the hearts of the people turned back to God in unity. In unity because he built the altar with 12 stones that signify the 12 tribes of Israel. And so, church, it begins with the restoration of the altar today. The second thing that, that caught my attention as I prepared is this. As, as I thought about Abraham and visualized him, you know, bringing his son up to, to, to sacrifice him, it is this word that came to me. Sometimes the sacrifice doesn't make sense. How would Abraham have felt? Why did God ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac? Isaac is the embodiment of God's fulfillment of prophecy to Abraham. Isaac leads to the hope of the world. If there's no Isaac, there's no Israel. If there's no Israel, there's no Jesus. If there's no Jesus, there's no salvation. And God had, Yahweh had already condemned even the, the pagan practices of the region around. Part of those practices involved human sacrifice and child sacrifice. And so it's such a puzzling part of this story, which I'll address in the third point. But how do you think Abraham would have felt? Walking up, that knife that he was holding, the fire that he was holding must have felt like a thousand uh, kilograms. His heart must have been so brokenhearted and heavy. And he was trying to think how, what God is doing. His promise is still real over my life. So why, why is he doing this? Is, has my faith not been enough? You know, in Hebrews it reveals that he even thought maybe God will let me kill him and then will resurrect him. You know, he had a resurrection-shaped faith. He could, even though he had great faith, he couldn't see how God was going to fulfill his promise. And so over and over, we're going to encounter seasons where we pour out and we can't understand or comprehend what God's purpose is at that point of time. When things don't make sense and God is still asking you to be faithful. When things don't make sense and God is still asking you to pour out and love those around you and serve. You know, I was called into full-time ministry at 15 years of age. I was in Hong Kong at that time. And I didn't go into full-time until I was 33 years old. I ran away for 18 years. Tried to justify myself before God. Oh, you know, my wife is already full-time. No need me, la God. I would just serve you as a, as a lay uh, uh, volunteer, you know? And 30, 18 years later, at 33 years of age, I just felt God continuing to call me into the ministry and saying, Roger, uh, I want more of you. And I said, God, it doesn't make sense. Because at the point I went in, it was probably the most illogical time for me ever to go in. I already had two children. And my wife was pregnant with the third child. <laughs> Brother George is laughing, crying here. He's like, oh, oh my gosh. You know? 
had a third child on the way. She was pregnant. And I was like, God, you want me to let go of my income? Don't, I have all these family commitments. I have all these um, things that I have to pay for, all these obligations. You know, I've got the, the house to pay for, the cars to pay for. How do you want me to do this? And God said, just trust me and go in. And oh, that was a painful, challenging decision to make. And it even made me realize that I had attached in my identity as a man, you know, uh, and my dignity as a man, this identity to be the protector and the provider of a household, right? Because that's what the man of the household, the head of the household is supposed to do. That's what we're taught. And God had to let, ask me to let go of that in a certain way where I had to trust Him to be the provider and trust Him to be the protector. And I couldn't be the one to provide because I was going to throw my family into a place of financial instability and uncertainty. And I was like, God, then where does that leave me as a man? When people ask me, what do I tell them? I'm embarrassed to say I can't provide for my family. And he said, go in, trust me. Even when it doesn't make sense, go in and trust me. And so I... I'll just show a little bit behind the curtain. I sat down and I calculated everything that I have. <laughs> spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheets. How many of you are Excel spreadsheet people, you know, budgeting people? You know, so I'm that type. Pastor Sarah is kind of just like, she's more mystical about her um, financial uh, practices. I, I like to, you know, be very precise. And I calculated, God, if I step out, uh, you know, and I, I don't have my income, I have exactly 10 months of savings, meaning that's how long I can last in, in Bible college. Are you sure? God said, yes, I'm sure, go. <laughs> I said, okay, God, but Bible college is going to take three years. <laughs> so, and I'm, you know, so I said, God, this is what, this is my deal for you. See my lack of faith. I even made a deal with God. I said, I don't believe that you want me to get into debt in order to follow this call. And so God, I'm going to go in and trust you for 10 months. And then if I have to go into debt in order to follow this call, then I have to question whether truly your call is upon me. See how faithless I was. But I still went in, okay? And I said, even if it wipes out my savings, I'm going to take this step. And at the end, when I graduated, let me tell you, my bank account wasn't empty. I still had savings. Not as much as when I started, but I still had savings. It didn't make sense numerically. All my spreadsheets, I'm like, it's like error, error, red, red, you know, because like God's calculations don't make sense. I still had a, a bunch of savings when I went, came out of Bible school. Not only that, instead of taking three years, um, you know, somehow God made it possible for me to overload most of my semesters and by the grace of the lecturers as well. And I finished Bible college in two years and three months. So that saved me nine months of expenses. <laughs> you know? It really helped because while I was a student, you just have a small student allowance and, and, and I didn't have an income at all. But every time I think back about this event and how God brought me through and brought my family through, it testifies of His miracle and His goodness 
so powerfully. I'll never forget it. There was not a single bill that we missed. There was not a single receipt and bill that we couldn't pay for. There was not a single time when my children felt deprived that they couldn't do something or have something. They feel so blessed. Every moment, every season, they have not gone in feeling deprived at all. God has not lacked in our life. He has been our provider. He has been our assurer. He has been our protector. God is good. And so even when it doesn't make sense, I want to encourage you guys to keep going, to keep pouring out. Remember what Elu said just now about the woman with the alabaster jar? She came into a room full of men, Simon the leper's home. And everyone was just hushed at that point. They were laughing, they were joking. It was actually right after Lazarus was raised, so I'm sure that they were talking about it. Lazarus, how did you feel in, in the tomb? And how did you feel when you, you know? So they had a lot of things to talk about, to laugh about, to celebrate. And suddenly she walks in, trembling with this bowl. And this thing, and they hush, and what's happening, what's happening? What's going on? She kneels at Jesus' feet. And she opens this, this jar of perfume that is so expensive, so lavish. And suddenly there's muttering all around. What are you doing? The money that could have been used to, to help the poor. Why are you wasting it like this? And she just opens that perfume, breaks the bottle that she had saved for, I think, a year for it of savings, and then just poured it over Jesus' feet and began to wipe it with her hair. I don't know if we've ever imagined what actually took place. How senseless it would have looked to the men around. How embarrassing it was for a woman at that time to walk into a room full of men laughing and joking, trembling with this uh, sacrifice and, and, and offering she wanted to, to lavish on Jesus. And that sense of a sacrifice will last for eternity because it's in the Holy Scriptures for all time. That is how God sees our sacrifice. And I feel prompted today, just for a short moment, if that's okay, to honor those who have been serving and volunteering all this time. Is that okay? Is that okay? You guys are amazing. I've seen you during the pandemic season, two years, where you guys were exhausted. You guys were fighting your own battles. Tough, tough moments at work, in your business, in your career in health and illness, in your family. And yet you chose to continue to say, God, I will serve you. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will honor the Lord. And so just for a few moments, I'm going to ask you to stand. If you were in volunteer ministry, connect leaders and, and assistant, uh, connect leaders and zone leaders, please stand up. Please stand up for a moment, just a short moment. Come on. Just stand up if you're part of the connect ministry. You know, you guys kept us going the whole pandemic. You were the backbone of the church. Keep standing, keep standing, keep standing. I want to ask the worship, the AV team to stand up. AV team at the back, stand up week after week. They're serving, ushering, hospitality, traffic, just stand up. Follow up, uh, follow up network, stand up. Everybody who's involved in any ministry at all, in glad tidings, just stand right now. We want to honor you. 
Thank you. Thank you for what you do. Up in the balconies, we all stand up. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Thank you for pouring out. Thank you for pouring out unto the, unto the Lord. Thank you for breaking that jar, that alabaster jar of perfume and bringing your sacrifice to God. I'm sure some of you have gone through seasons where you asked, is this worth it? Is my sacrifice mean anything? And the sacrifice you brought, when you saw the impact visibly, you said, I, I thought it would have more impact. I thought it would make more difference. As I was preparing today, I just felt God giving you a word that it matters to God. And at some point in His perfect timing, you will see His, His faithfulness and His breakthrough intersect with your faithfulness as you pour out. You might not see it today. You might not see the seeds that you've sowed, what they're going to amount to. But God says it is important to Him. It is significant to Him. It is precious to Him. Keep going. Don't give up. Your sacrifice matters to God. And that is more important than your sacrifice mattering to any man. Amen? Amen. The final point that I want to talk about is this. An altered faith will always point to Jesus. It will always point to Jesus. And just now, I said I would touch on this controversial side of the story. You know, the story is quite controversial, to be honest. It's not easy to preach. This is the type of story that you hope your friends never, your non-Christian friends never read about or hear about and ask you about, right? How do you explain it to them? This is a type of question that if your children ask you about it uh, in your family devotions, you're like, oh, you know, you hope you never, they never ask you. And, and coincidentally, this is the passage that my children ask me most about in our family altars. And we still don't 100% know how to answer and, and explain it to them, you know, in a way that they will understand. It's not easy. So since Pastor Sarah's not here, I'm going to review more about her. Um, so, so the children asked her, uh, wow, this story, Abraham wanted to sacrifice Isaac in obedience. Mommy, would you sacrifice me if God asked you to? In fact, the youngest one, Alison, was like, would you kill me if God asked you to? And then she just stunned, you know? And she said, kids, I'm going to be honest. I cannot do it. <laughs> If God asked me to, I cannot do it. And so they threw the question to me, Daddy, how about you? And so since Daddy is a smart one, I have been answering them, I don't believe God will ask me to do it. Right? Right? Come on. So, yeah, I think um, my kids got a better answer from my wife, a more honest one. But it's also true that I don't believe God will ask me to because it was for a specific occasion, for a specific purpose that He did this in Genesis 22, you know? And, um, and uh, when you begin to look at this passage through the lens of the, the, the complete redemptive story of God, God's plan and purpose, it begins to take a very beautiful turn. Just look at the circumstances. Isaac, the beloved son, obeying the father, obeying the father's leading. He's got this 
stack of wood on his back as he trudges up the mountain at Moriah, right? The wood on his back would be the instrument by which he would die on in the sacrifice. The location, Mount Moriah, is where the Temple Mount is going to be in future, in Jerusalem. Isaac, born through miraculous circumstances to a barren Sarah. She had been barren for so long until they, they thought it was humanly impossible for her to give birth again. But he was born through miraculous circumstances. And you begin to see the parallels which God is trying to show even at the beginning of the Bible, thousands of years before Jesus came. Because thousands of years later, Jesus, beloved Son of the Father, would follow the Father's leading in obedience, walk up that hill to Calvary with that wooden cross on his back. But unlike Isaac, who had a substitute come in, Jesus would go all the way to be the sacrifice. And it was a powerful prophetic foreshadowing and prophetic reenactment of the redemption story that God was up to fulfill. It is one of the clearest stories in the Bible of the solution that God is going to bring. And so Abraham didn't know this, but when he said, God himself will provide the sacrifice, he wasn't talking about the lamb. God actually meant that he was talking about Jesus. God himself will provide the sacrifice. Not only would, would he do that, God himself would be the sacrifice. And so Christians, sometimes we can see it as quite an embarrassing or controversial story to explain to our non-Christian friends, to our children. But then it becomes such a powerful prophetic story about God's redemption plan when we see it through the proper lens of faith. And it becomes something that, that bolsters and encourages our faith. And so I felt God drop this into my spirit for today. That an altered faith will always point to Jesus. An altered life will always testify of Jesus. The more we surrender and align our lives to, to, to the ways of God and, and, and to, to the cross, the more it will point to Jesus every step of the way. There's no way that being more or less mature in this journey of, of spirituality will we pivot away from Jesus because He is the center cornerstone of our faith and our story. And I'm so blessed in this church because there are so many amazing examples as I look around of lives that are altered unto God. God is looking to raise an altered people in glad tidings and we already have amazing examples who have shown year after year, decade after decade, that faithfulness, that surrender, that altar that they have built, that personal altar that they have honored and guarded you know, every time I come into this hall every Sunday, I look for Pastor Kwan Ming, you know, his face is always glowing, always glowing, so encouraging. During worship, during the sermon, I can hear him, Amen, Hallelujah. And when I see him, I see Jesus. I see how he has honored God with his life. 
and week after week, he's ministering here. People like Pastor Kun Singh, you see him before service and after service praying for people constantly. You know, as you look at these examples, it just reminds you that in our church, we've got amazing, amazing people. Just now, we talked about the volunteers that, that, that serve with such a heart and such a passion and such a sacrifice in their hearts. People like Brother Michael Tang, you know that if not for the pandemic, he'll probably be in India today, pioneering churches and, 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 and raising up leaders and, and ministering there in, in the rallies there. In fact, even over Zoom this season, he's been doing a lot of that. You know, Pastor Mary and the late brother Arthur Lee, their faithfulness, their fervor, their steadfastness over the years. Pastor Russell still, you know, ministering so faithfully in the BM service. I know because his daughter attends the connect group that I'm in, you know, Abigail, she's helping to anchor the AV. And week after week, they're pouring out. They're living altered lives. They're living altered faith. Amen. And so I'm going to invite up the, the worship team, even as I wrap up today. God is raising up an altered people in glad tidings. And it begins with the restoration of the altar. Amen. I just want to encourage you to begin to open your hearts to what God is saying for this season. I sense very strongly that it is a crossover season. For some of you, actually, it's a crossroad season. And as you cross over from one season to the next, it's important to be altered and surrendered before God. It might not make sense to your visible eyes. Why am I still doing this? Is it worth it? Yes, it's worth it. God sees it. God will honor it. God will reveal His purposes in due time because He's ordained that His intervention is going to intersect with our faithfulness in His perfect timing. You're going to see revelation upon revelation and have encounter upon encounter. But it starts with building that altar before God. We need to get it right in this season. We need to get the foundation right. Because it doesn't only affect us. I started off the sermon saying, Hurt people, hurt people, heal people, heal people. Faith brings healing that can extend to your future generations. Unresolved hurt can bring damage that affects those around you and future generations as well. So it matters. Our faithfulness matters. Our surrender matters. And our altars matter to God. So even as the worship